It's Revivalry Week, or Blue Bonnet Battle Week, whichever side of that argument you're on. TCU takes on Baylor this weekend. Plus, we're going to run down the Texas game real quick. We got some hoops news, both men's and women's, an advanced stats preview for you. And Melissa sits down with the guys from Between Two Bears, plus three games I'm watching this week, and the mailbag. So it's time to get it rolling right now. Play that intro music, producer man. Welcome into the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here. Melissa Trebowasser will be along shortly. She is joined today by Evan and Matt from Between Two Bears, the Baylor podcast that is part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network. We are the TCU podcast for the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network. And the two teams play this week. It is rivalry week. TCU and Baylor getting it on this Saturday at 2.30 on ESPN+. Plus. So many people are going to be watching this game. Yes, we're going to talk about the trophy. Yes, we're going to talk about the rivalry name. I think people are being too hard on student government, but I'm going to save that soapbox for a little bit down the road in this show. Um, we got some other stuff for you today, though. Uh, I, we never did a Texas recap, as you might have noticed on the feed. Because schedules and life happen sometime. Melissa was flying back from Texas and it took me approximately three and a half hours to get my groceries on Sunday night. Shout out to Walmart grocery pickup. Um, and so, because of all that, no Texas recap. I'm going to do a little bit on that game here today uh, before we hop into Baylor and move forward from there. Before we do any of that, though, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time or if you've been a listener since the first episode, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. We really do appreciate you. I mean that sincerely and if you could go to wherever you are listening to this podcast and you should see a little button somewhere to leave a rating or a review if you would do that please that would mean the world to us if you're watching this on the youtube channel which that's a growing audience which is pretty dope thank you for doing that hit the like button on this video leave us a comment underneath as well and make sure you're subscribed to the channel we are also on instagram we've got a ticky tocky going uh, you can follow Melissa and I on our personal accounts on Twitter. Anywhere you need to access Frogs Insider, you can access Frogs Insider. We've got it all set up for you. So make sure you're over on socials following us. Make sure you've liked the podcast wherever you get it. And make sure you're you're checking out the YouTube channel as well. Appreciate you, appreciate you, appreciate you. Shout out to our sponsors. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel are both incredible, incredible organizations. We work with them because we're friends with them. Um, we love them. They do incredible work. They provide quality, quality products to their to their purchasers, to their to their patrons of their stores. Um, if you're on the YouTube channel, you see that I've got one of my home field hoodies on today. It is the purple old school TCU Horn Frog logo, in honor almost of the little helmets that kind of look a little bit like this head. Yeah, a little bit of that horn frog head going on. If you're on the YouTube channel, you can see which one I'm talking about. And I'm going to get into a hoodie rant later as well. Shout out to the TCU Campus Store. Okay, that should be enough podcast business for now. We're going to talk more about Hell's Half Acre and Homefield later in the show. So let's jump in. Quick Texas recap. The Frogs lose to the Longhorns 29-26. to Very close football game. Good second half of football for TCU. I thought... It was the best second half of football TCU played this year. You can debate whether or not Texas was trying to slow play a little bit, uh, whether they got conservative. Um, I don't know if that had more to do with game script or with 
Brooks getting hurt. Uh, their um, Jonathan Brooks, their incredible running back towards ACL out for the year, got hurt in the second half of that game. Um, but either way, TCU fell to the Longhorns 29 to 26. It's just the fourth time TCU has lost to the Longhorns since joining the Big 12. So the Frogs finish their time in the Big 12 with Texas at, with an 8 and 4 record, which is not bad. Not not too shabby at all. I think it's actually if I'm not mistaken, maybe if they beat Baylor this will change. I think that's the best record TCU has against any Big 12 school they've been in the conference with over this stretch. I'll need to double check that, but I'm fairly sure that that's right. They have more wins against Texas than they do any other program in the Big 12 since joining. Again, Baylor could be different if they win this weekend. But I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. Bad 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 first half for the Frogs. They're down 26 to 6 at halftime. It was 13 to 6 until the last 4 minutes or so of the second quarter. A couple bad couple bad turnovers um Gave Texas an opportunity to to stretch their lead out before the break a little bit. But TCU came out after halftime, folks, and looked very, very good. Um, defensively, they were sound. They were a little bit more aggressive than we've seen them in previous games. The offense did a good enough job of protecting Josh Hoover so that he could get the ball out, primarily to Savion Williams, who set single-game career highs in receptions and receiving yards with 11 catches for 164 yards. He also had a big Big, big-time touchdown late in that game to help TCU get to within a field goal. And if, you know, if my money is on, if TCU gets that third down stop near the end of that game, they're at least going to be able to get into field goal range. They were moving the ball well on offense that whole game. Griffin Kell had two long field goals, including a 56-yarder in the first quarter of that game. Um, things were starting to to build in the right direction for TCU. They just kind of ran out of time, gave up a, a big third and 12 conversion. To a pass to A.D. Mitchell, he, he went up and made a play. You can't really be too upset. Um, and that, that ended up sealing the game for Texas there. So that's the fourth one-score loss for TCU this season. They are 0 and obviously 0-4 in those games. Um, they had seven one-score games in 2022, and they went 6-1 in those games. So there has obviously been a little bit of a change in luck and some of the bounces for TCU this year, plus... They lost some guys that covered up some of the mistakes, right? They lost some guys that could that could ad lib in, in key moments and and make up for broken assignments or broken blocking or whatever it might have been. Uh, and that's just not the case this year. And, and we see that kind of come up and, and hurt the frogs once again against UT. Um, but you know the, that was a better second half than I think I'd seen them play. All year, you could say the third quarter against Texas Tech was probably close, but the way they showed up in the fourth quarter of that game almost negated what they did in the third quarter against Tech. So, you know, I think it was overall a decent effort from TCU. Obviously, on the losing side is not something you want to be, but I think I saw for the first time what the coaches saw in some of these guys that they had been touting in the fall. You know, saying that they had a deep team, saying that they had a lot of talent on this team. I think I saw some of that really come out in the second half against Texas. Um, and that was good to see. Interior offensive line is still a problem right now. It's still a problem right now. Uh, Colton Deary, John Lands, and Willis Patrick, none of them had above a 50 on PFF in pass blocking grades on Saturday night. And that's just not going to get it done. With especially with a, with a, a freshman quarterback out there, that's just not going to get it done. Um, 
couldn't couldn't establish the run as much as they wanted to. Sonny Dykes talked about that a little bit in midweek. He talked a lot in midweek. If you haven't seen his um, his midweek press conference from the, this past Tuesday, I would encourage you to go back and and look at that and watch that. He talked a lot about the defensive scheme challenges that they've faced. He talked a lot about the, the struggles on offense and specifically kind of what they've been tracking and what's been going poorly for them this year. Um, and I thought he did an, an incredibly good and candid job of laying out some of TCU's issues on both sides of the football. So go check that out. That's over the Frogs Insider YouTube channel. You can watch the whole thing right there. It's about 28 minutes. He talked for a long time on Tuesday. But let's move forward because we got a little bit more news before we get into TCU and Baylor this morning. Hoops. We have undefeated hoops teams across the board at TCU. Men's are 3-0 and after an 88-55 to win over UT Rio Grande Valley on Tuesday night. And then the women moved to 4-0 and after a win over Incarnate Word during a lunchtime matinee on Wednesday. That was field trip day. So there were tons of elementary schools from the ISDs all over. And uh, a lot of little kids making a lot of loud noise. I know the ladies of, of TCU basketball really enjoyed uh, having all those kiddos there, uh, pretty fun, high energy, and that's not the that's not the only thing that's happening for women's basketball right now. Haley Cavender has committed. Melissa and I are going to talk more about hoops and stuff when we get back together on on the next uh, weekend episode. But uh, I do want to make a note that Haley Cavender has signed with TCU. She is officially a Horn Frog. So the commitment post went crazy. I think that was on Monday, um, and now she has officially signed her. NLI, her letter of intent. So she is a horn frog, which means that the school can talk about her. Coach Campbell can talk about her. And he did so on Wednesday afternoon. And I thought it was really impressive the way that he framed her commitment to TCU. Cause I think the first question he got was about her social media presence, right? And everybody knows who Haley Cavender is, who her twin Hannah is from their TikTok presence there. They got massive social presences on Instagram as well. Um, they've created a couple businesses. They've worked with Jake Paul and the WWE and, um, you know, they, they've got a, a podcast. They do, they do like better picks and stuff. And, um, they, they have successfully created a, a social media presence that is a really good income stream for them, which is nice because, um, from an NIL perspective, uh, you know, she's kind of taken care of with all of the business stuff that she's got going on. But um, that also, I think, overshadows, and Coach Campbell got into this a little bit on Wednesday, that overshadows her as a basketball player. And Haley Cavender is a very good basketball player. You know, you, you look at who Campbell brought in in the portal last cycle, right when he got on campus. He got Sedona Prince, who was uh, a proven commodity at Oregon. He got one of the best point guards in the country in Jaden Owens. He got one of the best sharpshooter, three-point shooters in the country from Arizona in Madison Connor. He got another shooter in Una Jovanovic who, uh, from Cal State Fullerton, who's you know still finding her way a little bit through the first four games. But it's, once she starts clicking, you're going to see the real kind of four-out, one-in that Matt Campbell wants to run for this team. Um, he hit the portal really hard and got a lot of incredible talent out of it. And he did that because he's got this vision for a program, uh, how to rebuild a program. He's got a character uh, kind of commitment that he's got to finding the right people for this program. I had a chance to talk to him a little bit on Wednesday for something that I'm writing that should be out either Thursday or Friday um, about his vision for the program and how he's been able to to convince some of these high 
visibility, really kind of outside the game, impactful people to commit to coming and playing for him, right? Because between Haley Cavender, Sedona Prince, and Jaden Owens, they have over a million combined followers on Instagram. Haley Cavender has like four and a half million followers on TikTok by herself, right? And uh, that puts a lot of eyeballs on your product, and so you want to have a good product, and which that means that these these women also have to be really good basketball players, and they are. So back to the Haley Cavender and that. She was second team all ACC for Miami last year. She led Miami in scoring. She led them in assists. She led them in minutes played. She shot 40% from three-point range for the Hurricanes last year as she helped lead them to the Elite Eight. It was the first Elite Eight in program history. So for all of the conversation about her social presence or any of the other stuff, she's a hooper, right? Like She's a good basketball player, and she should come in next year and be able to run the point for Matt Campbell's offense and do it successfully. Um, I personally am very excited about having two people who can shoot the three at the rate that Cavender and Madison Connor can. Um, that's something that I don't think either hoops team has really seen or, or in, in a long time is two shooters at the same time who were that legit at hitting and knocking down threes. Uh, so that's that's the it's a great thing for 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 Mark Campbell. It's a great thing for women's basketball that Haley Cavender is going to be here. He did indicate that this is a next year thing, which is what we all suspected. So twenty four twenty five season, um, which makes sense because the season has already started. And in order for her to get in and play now, she'd need an NCAA waiver because this would technically be her second transfer. I don't think she would get it, and so. Um, She's going to come in next year and be, you know, the, I think the expectation is that she's going to be a starting point guard, which means she's going to be filling in for the role Jaden Owens is playing this year. And, uh, you know, that, that means that there's an opportunity, depending on how this season goes, for Campbell and his team to really kind of just pick up the ball and keep the momentum rolling after what has been a, a successful first four games for his team. So big time, big time things are happening for women's hoops. If you haven't been paying attention to women's hoops to this point, I would encourage you to start doing so now. Um, it's really kind of a, a, a fun environment. It's It's got a lot of potential, and I think Campbell's got this thing moving in the right direction. So that's all kind of exciting. Um, and I posted a clip of him talking about Haley Cavender on socials the other day, so make sure that you get in there and uh, check that out as well. Okay, let's jump in to TCU Baylor. I've got some mailbag questions about the Blue Bonnet battle, so we're going to table all of that for now, and we're just going to get in to the advanced stats preview. Obviously, if you know Parker Fleming, at Stats of War. <clears throat> Longtime friend, friend of the podcast, does incredible work from an advanced stats um, aspect covering college football. And if you go and you see his advanced stats preview for TCU Baylor, you can kind of start to understand why this game opened as TCU minus 14. 14 14-point favorite when they've had the year that they've had. Because Baylor's defense is like on a historically bad pace, which is shocking because Dave Aranda is a great defensive mind, and I still really like Dave Aranda. For the record, just as a side note here, I don't think he's going to get the sack at Baylor yet. I don't think he's out at Baylor after this season. I think he's got another year. Um, I know that the the kind of general public consensus is that he should be gone. I don't think he's gone after this year. 
Uh, I think we see a lot of staff changes over there and that he gets one more shot at it next year. But Baylor's defense is not good. Um, they are 111th in EPA per pass. They are 72nd in EPA per rush. Uh, they are 104th in the country at points per Echel, which if you remember, Echel tracks how frequently you are creating scoring opportunities for your team based on how successful your drives are. Points per Echel is how many points you score per quality drive. So when you get a scoring opportunity, are you taking advantage of it? Baylor is very good at letting teams take advantage of their scoring opportunities. That has been a weak point for TCU's offense this season. They have not been able to take advantage of their scoring opportunities. They are 17th in the country in Echo rate, which means they're 17th best in the country in generating scoring opportunities and putting together quality drives. They are 91st in the country and turn those drives into points. And so this may be an opportunity late in the season for TCU to correct some of the challenges that they've faced all year in converting drives into points. Um, that would be really nice. It would be really nice to see. Some other things to note about Baylor's defense. They're 117th in the country in third and fourth down success. They're letting teams convert. Uh, or their, Sorry, their stop rate is just 26% on third and fourth down. That's not great. That's not great. TCU is 15th in the country at third and fourth down success. So there's another opportunity maybe for TCU's offense to really kind of get things rolling, get some points on the board early. Meanwhile, offensively for Baylor, they've struggled this year. Obviously, they dealt with quarterback injuries earlier in the year. They've dealt with some other injuries as well. Uh, things have just not gone well in Waco this season for the Bears. Um, kind of a middling offense. 64th in EPA per pass. Uh, excuse me, 63rd in EPA per pass, 64th in EPA per rush, uh, 53rd in the country in echo rate, um, and an abysmal, a dead last in, in Division One football, 130th in converting their scoring opportunities into points, 2.51 points per echo drive. That is less than a field goal per scoring opportunity. That is bad. That is very, very bad. Uh, they don't run the ball as much as you would anticipate for a team that is this bad. They, they do like to throw the football a lot. Um, but uh, it, it really just hasn't worked out for them. Um, that's a kind of a very quick, quick little advanced stats preview there. Um, TCU should win this football game. TCU needs to win this football game to continue to have an opportunity to stay bowl eligible. Um, but anything can happen in a rivalry game, and and who knows. Baylor almost rose up and got TCU last year. They needed a, a, an absolute miracle of a of a field goal late um, to get that win, and we'll see we'll see what happens this year uh, when Baylor comes to town. But I do think uh, I do think TCU ends up coming away with the win. Uh, if you see Parker's advanced stats preview, you'll see that his projection is thirty two to nineteen ish. TCU's got about an eighty three percent chance to win this game. And know that that's not like a true score prediction from him when you see those charts. That's more of a, hey, when teams that have these profiles match up, kind of what is the what is the probable outcome? So this isn't really like a, a, a score predictor. This definitely isn't gambling advice um, or anything like that for those of you who may be wanting to wager on this game. But uh, this is a, a really nice cap, uh, capture of of what these teams have done to this point and how that's how they stack up against each other. Uh, which, you know, if you look at this, uh, pretty clearly gives TCU the edge, pretty clearly gives TCU the edge. 
Um, to continue this conversation, though, we are going to go to Melissa Trebowasser. She sits down with Evan and Matt over at Between Two Bears, Dave Campbell's Baylor podcast, and they continue the Baylor and TCU preview over there. Folks, welcome to another very special episode of the Frogs Insider podcast. Maybe another collaborative episode. But this time, um, we are featuring our friends, our countrymen, our protected rivals, the protected. fine protected rivals, <laughs> the harbinger of the blue bonnet battle. Ugh. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, we are joined by Evan and Matt from Between Two Bears. This is a momentous occasion, folks. And Sorry. Um, yeah, it's good, bad, <laughs> folks. ugly, indifferent. Um, it's happening which is the same thing you could say about this newly launched and rebranded rivalry between TCU mm-hmm. and Baylor. Whether you like it or not, it's happening. So I guess <laughs> we might as well move forward with what's what's going on. Um, gentlemen, how are you guys? Been better. I'm pissed off, Melissa. I'm, I'm pissed <laughs> off. Yeah. Villanova was my, like, for sure sixth leg of my college basketball parlay this evening and they uh, blew it against Penn. And that's uh, what we're here geez. to talk about, right? You know what? Those those poor, you know, souls from Penn that just don't get a lot of breaks in life and don't uh, have many opportunities. Let them have this win. <laughs> let them have this win. This it. is this is the time. Um listen, we could be all kind of like salty and pissed off about a lot of things. Um, but let's start with the most obvious one. And that's the fact that it's no longer going to be known as the rivalry. Like that's the worst part of this football season for both Baylor and TCU fans. Yes. <laughs> yes. M- maybe Only- to the media elite. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> outside of the media elite, um, uh, what what do you guys think of of the name? It's it's off. Like I don't associate blue bonnets with Waco or Fort Worth. Like I, you I know, took a lot of it's blue a Texas thing. in Waco. I got a picture yeah. in my house right now. Me and some blue bonnets in Waco. Easter. Just you. <laughs> just you. Yeah, just me. You Laying on your side. <laughs> paint paint uh, me like one of your French blue bonnets. Um, um, exactly. Were you ever told that it was illegal to pick blue bonnets? Or was that just yeah. something that happened at my school? Is yeah. that true? What's the deal there? I have no idea. I think no it's idea. true. I think it's much like a California poppy and that it's a protected species. And so you're not allowed to harvest it without proper governmental... Oh. I think that's what it. Now I could also be completely pulling that out of my rear end. It's possible, but I, I was afraid to touch them. I'll say that. At Hewitt Elementary in 2002, we were we were weeding. We pulled those out. I must have had 50 in my backpack at one time. Oh, I mean that's the there kind of thing I no expect. Law. <laughs> there is no law that prohibits picking blue bonnets in Texas. Not anymore. Go crazy. Go crazy. <laughs> Folks, if you don't learn anything about either football team that you're interested in listening to, at least you know you can now harvest all the blue bonnets that you would mm-hmm. like. I think we fill the trophy next year with real blue bonnets that we have to fill pick in the spring and then are dead by November when this game is played. No, um, see, you're you're validating this way too much. I, I am. You are. I, yeah. Here, here's here's my thing, and and the the irony of this was not lost on me. But Sunny Dykes on the press conference this morning that I attended via Zoom uh, mentioned how important it was to. <laughs> protect these long-standing rivalries while he was simultaneously sure. giving the double birds to SMU who TC is no longer <laughs> going to play, which is their <laughs> oldest rival. Um, but, and I do think having a trophy for these games is cool and fun and unique. I don't know if I can get behind creating a trophy in 2023 and forcing it and thrusting it upon us ahead mm-hmm. of the next round of big 12 expansion. I guess that's maybe my, my issue with it. 
and it's not even a cool trophy. No. There's no spikes on it. There's nothing. Yeah. It's like a big There's civil no conflict spikes. energy, you know? Yes. Yeah. When, when Sonny was talking about like the little brown jug and Paul Bunyan's axe, and then they throw us the blue bonnet battle trophy, which I will mention was created by a Baylor graduate. So we could at least easily, I'm happily to crap on it. I would probably try to justify <laughs> it if it was TCU guy. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, it's just kind of generic. It looks like a 2023, you know? It looks TCU like Baylor's it, gone woke. <laughs> it looks like if like, a, if you go to a cemetery and there was like a house, you know how people make like house divided t-shirts. Yeah. If there was like a house divided couple, this is like what would be like on their shared tombstone. Okay. Okay. I get that. This I is think what it would true. look like. Yeah. And, and honestly, like you could do worse. You could do worse. Um, let's talk really quickly while we're still on this thread. So, so one of the people, so I, I'm going to, this was hilarious to me. Mac Rhodes on the call. Sonny Dykes on the call. Dave Veranda on the call. Jeremiah Donati had the Lincoln Riley flu. Not on the call. <laughs> I, was, I was I was proud of my guy, ADJD. I was proud of him for b- ducking out and bowing out of that one. Um, but my big question for you guys is, and I know the answer, is Dave Aranda okay? Because that guy is the most positive outlook, happy-go-lucky. He looked sad. And I'm really concerned about him because he looked sad. He's very much, I don't know how much Parks and Rec both of you have watched, yes. but he's very much like... Um... Uh, who's the guy who gets uh, Jerry? Of course, not Jerry. Not not Jerry. He's the really positive one. Who am I thinking of? Oh, Chris. Yes, he's yeah. very much like a Chris Traeger. Like yes. if, if he gets a little sick, he gets a lot sick, you know? Okay. So I think he's really going through. <laughs> I think we're going to get like a Dave Aranda claymation in a few okay. weeks once he has more time on his hands. Oh, like, okay. Could an unemployed Yo. coach make this? That's what we're going to be seeing for <laughs> him in a few weeks. So, so that kind of brings my, like my next question is how hot is that seat? Because Dave Aranda felt like a home run hire when he was brought in and it, and it feels like it clearly at this point, I think you can say it just really hasn't worked, but it also like you, there's a big buyout there, right? We think we don't really know because private school um, Mm -hmm. and, and who else are you going to go get? Like, do you think this seat is hot? And I mean, taking, putting aside, obviously everyone agrees. Dave Aranda is one of the best people in college football. He's a wonderful human being, just a delightful person. Um, but, but is this like, is it time for Baylor to move on and and say the experiment has failed? I think so. I think you have to like win recruit or develop. You got to pick two out of the three. And right now he's picking zero out of the three options. Um, and you can be nice. I'm nice, but I can't coach football either. Apparently, you know, what's he doing, Matt? What do you think? What's he doing out there? Like when you, choose to make your public persona the very um, self uh, introspective, self-aware, continuous improvement, like all the corporate buzzwords that you would Mm -hmm. want in like a manager at work. Like I would love to work for Dave Aranda. That'd be great. But, but this isn't like a consulting firm, right? This is the most visible, like non NFL job type in America. And if if you choose to make that your public persona, boy, howdy, you better look smart. E- even if you lose, you better look smart. And that's the thing. Like 
none of this has looked smart. Yes, it's looked bad, but it's possible for it to also look smart. Like decisions are good and the process is good, but none of it looks good, right? And if you're going to be the, hey, we're going to keep working and be positive thing that like like a pseudo Matt Rule shtick, well, that's collapsed as well. I, I, I listened to the like post-game radio show, the official post-game radio show. Don't do that. I don't know, three, four times a season, maybe, usually after a big win to continue the good feelings. Well, I decided to just delve into the depths of, of feeling bad, and I listened to it this week. And it was crushing. Dave Aranda came on. He was like, yeah, this is this is the lowest we can go. Like, this is the lowest I can feel. This is this is pretty low. It's going to leave scar tissue. Like he sounded like a like a pop emo band. Huh. Like it was it was depressing. If he comes out with and the Jimmy Butler hair ahead of the exactly. game, I'm going to be so worried. <laughs> Taking back exactly, Sunday, right? Yeah, it's taking the back Sunday. Good. That's that, was exactly good. Right. that was good. That was good. Um, it, it, so if he's broken, imagine what the rest of the staff feels like yeah. and imagine what the rest of the players feel like. And I'm not doing this to like drum up pity or, or even sympathy or empathy here. It's just, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> like it's really bad. There's absolutely going to be a coaching change. I don't know if that's going to be offensive coach side of of things or if it's going to be the whole kit and caboodle but there is something that is going to change the good the good news is is not that far from Waco there is a newly unemployed head football coach that has national championship resume that you can bring in for dirt cheap for dirt cheap because he's getting 76 million dollars from Texas A&M. I don't I don't know if Jimbo's the move, but Jimbo's not not the move, right? I I'd mean, take Jimbo. Matt, Jim- would you take Jimbo? Don't tell anybody. I don't don't let this go. I'd public, take Jimbo. Yeah, hey, I, this is I'd just between him. the three of us. Oh, I, I, yeah. Jimbo would be a home run for Baylor. Yeah. yeah. Jimbo yeah, going into the new Big 12, like the new new Big 12, that's what we have to call it now, yeah, right? It might be Jimbo or Dabo, I'll take either. Give me either. <laughs> Dabo would fit right. Dabo's born to coach at Baylor, but like Dabo's born to coach at Baylor when he's like at the end of his coaching career. Like that's going to be 78 year old Dabo on the sidelines. Hey, hey, depending on what happens against UNC this weekend, look, we we might be getting pretty close. Dabo seems like he was more interested in Waco around the 93, 94 range. That seems more his lane. Yeah. Hey, Dabo can go to, to Baylor. TC will take Garrett Riley back. It's a win-win situation. There you Everyone go. wins. Everyone wins. Um, what, like, I don't want to say, like, what's wrong with Baylor, but, like, outside of that incredible, like, UCF comeback, right? I mean, this team has just looked overmatched in a way that we haven't mm. seen since kind of, the uh the the end of he shall not be named era like the cupboard should not be this bare right like is there are there deeper issues here or is this just kind of a just from matt rule to dave veranda that just where where's the kind of the fall off been matt? so <laughs> I, I to to table set here when i don't have recent success to like immediately remember if it's outside the purview of my adhd memory bank here my expectations for 
entertainment from a football team is actually pretty low. I, I don't need you to win 10 games every season. I don't need you to bring in five stars. I just need you to look like you know what you're doing and ruin someone else's season every once in a while, right? Like, truly, that's all I need. If the process looks good, if it looks like you know what you're doing, I'm good. I'm good. It is, it's not just that we haven't won an FBS game at home since oh, literally November of last season. Mm. Oh, it is, it is the fact that we haven't looked competitive outside of the Utah game. We haven't looked competitive against an FBS team at home. And we haven't looked competitive against a good FBS team on the road since mm. November. And it, it's just... It, the the okay, so it's it's one or multiples of recruiting, coaching decisions, or or um, you know r- roster building, right? Like recruiting and roster building, I feel are are different things. Yeah. Or development, right? Like it's 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 some combination, and you can't say, oh, well, they are doing a good job in this area because it doesn't necessarily look like we have enough talent. It doesn't necessarily look like we're developing players well enough. It doesn't look, I know for a fact, we're not making good coaching decisions on the field. Some of them are truly baffling. And there's nothing that you can hang your hat on except for, oh, we might have a couple players in in the secondary. We we got a guy named Dawson who might be good. Yeah, we have a running back and like maybe two defensive backs that are pretty good. What are we doing? How has the hmm. defense been this? I mean, Dave Aranda, I don't think anybody questions his defensive pedigree. Is, is that just come back to, well, yeah, I guess, I guess you <laughs> can now, right? Is that recruiting yeah. and development or is there, is this a scheme issue as well? I think sometimes Look at the talent he had at LSU. Yeah. I think sometimes we find out coordinators are just coordinators. You know, we've learned that he can cook when he has multiple NFL players to to tell what to do. Oh, you're going to go with the bill, the bill parcels of he and that's to shop with the groceries too, right? Yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, thanks for your service. Get out of my community. That's what I think. <laughs> you send this kid FYI. and all of a sudden, man. <laughs> exactly. FYI, that, um, that 2019 LSU team, they gave up 38 to Vanderbilt, by the um, way. Just, just, yeah. you know, the, the same amount of points they give up to Texas. Like, are we sure they were that good? I, I don't know. It, it's, I, I, I'm, that's the part of it. Melissa, you hit it right on the head. That's the part that frustrates me. The defense yeah. has never been good outside of having two to three NFL players. Hmm. I, that, that's truly what it, and they leaned, they built the entire defense around those three players, Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard and and JT Woods like that's what they built the 2021 defense around so that's the part that frustrates me looking ahead to this toddler slap fight Saturday afternoon which is what I'm kind of expecting I know I like this game has been relegated to ESPN plus and I know that Baylor fans have gotten comfortable with ESPN plus Mm -hmm. this year for football yeah (laughs) um uh I mean, it's what we deserve, right? You know, both of these teams have had success in in phases. They've had success in in periods of time. They've had success with with other coaches. Um, but neither team looks successful. Or I think Matt, you were kind of alluding to like 
there's reason to think that the right things are being done to build for the future. Um, so like, are you going to watch Saturday? And if so, what are you going to be watching for? I won't. I will be in Jackson, Mississippi, hanging with my mom. Okay. <laughs> Instead of this. Yeah, that's a good priority the, there. The, the Houston game, I swore up and down I wasn't going to watch. I was going out for my birthday celebration that evening. I swore up and down I wasn't going to watch. And I watched the whole thing, except for the part that I listened to on the radio. Yeah. It's a sickness. It's a yeah. sickness. I'm with, um, you. I, I'm with you. I'm swearing up and down. I'm not going to watch on Saturday, but I'm going to. And it is going to lead to yet another weekend of my family being miserable because I can't control my sadness after seeing what they put out on the field. Do you? Yeah, I mean, depressing, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm giving you a virtual hug. I don't know if that's an option. I think I can give you, let's see what my reactions are. I can just, I can just give you a well, thumbs high up. Yeah, yeah, thumbs up. Thumbs there you go. <laughs> Love that. Uh, see what thanks. Thanks. <laughs> we've, we've all been there, right? And, and it's, and it's hard because like, I don't miss TCU games. Like I'm still watching even when it's bad, even when it's good. I'm still flying out for games on my own dollar in volition. Um, and, and it is, it's something that, when you're when you're tied in, you're tied in tight. Um, I don't think that I don't know what the spread is. I haven't looked yet. I can't imagine TC is a huge favorite here. This is a take, Melissa. I need you to take a guess right now. I will oh, I will God. get a live look at it. A live look. Okay. It will um, it will it will blow your mind. As we are recording this on Monday evening, anything more than five and a half would surprise me. This oh, morning it was fourteen. What? I was gonna say I'm thinking closer to that two touchdown range. We right stand. now it's thirteen, and I'm going to hammer TCU again. So I guess one moment. Yeah, just a second. Um, I guess coming off of the second half against Texas, even though like it gave it's for TCU fans, it gave us a lot of hope. The guys were actually playing hard. Um, for the most part, the offense finally got some things mo- moving, but. My pessimist look says, yeah, P- Texas wasn't trying to do anything in that second half. That was the most impotent play calling Steve Sarkeesian could have given. And he did just that. And they protected Quinn Ewers. And then once um, they unfortunately lost their running back to a torn ACL, then they weren't even trying to move the football. They were just kind of waiting for time to expire, which is what happened. But man, two touchdowns. I, I know Baylor's bad. Like we can all admit <laughs> that, like very bad Um, it, to the point now it's like not even enjoyable for me as a TCU fan to like watch that level of suffering. Like Matt, when you, like, I'm almost tearing up for you. I'm just hurting for you alongside you. Um, but That's boys, why you're a better person. Though. I know I'm not a great person, but I, but I am like a, like a, a terminal empath. It's pathetic, but it is who I am. Um, But guys, like we are not taking into account, there's a trophy for this game now. And we, and and Dave Dave Aranda said it today that the trophy's going to make his guys play harder and they're all invested and locked in for this. Okay. Yeah. I heard they've been playing for a fake trophy in practice all week. They've been looking really good (laughs) playing for it. Yeah. They're ready. That's what the rumors have been saying. Yeah. Um, Do you like, what's, what's the path to Baylor pulling off what I guess we could now call a pretty significant upset. (laughs) <laughs> the path yeah they would <laughs> we would have to do some blocking and some tackling okay first and foremost yeah well we're terrible we at tackling nice too and we cannot rush the passer although we've been okay against well we were mostly okay against the run against texas which i'll take against that running attack i think Aranda i said here's a here's a tweet from michael hag who, who uh 
writes for the um, the Baylor uh, paper, he says, Aranda said he was blown away by the enthusiasm among both sides of the conversation on a Zoom call today. Mm-hmm. And that their enthusiastic nature made him fired up. Why? Is, I just, I'm being lied to. I just, every Sunday or every Saturday after the game and every Monday during his presser, I'm just being lied to over and over and over again. Uh, sorry, I just had to. I had to get that out. No, I, it, like you, it's important that you get these things out um, and, and talk about them. Otherwise, you're just going to fester inside. And we don't want that for you. Um, uh, you're getting older. You know, we need to protect the ticker. You know, these are all mm. things. This is These are important. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it, – well, that's also funny, too, because I'm sure there was a ton of enthusiasm around both student councils. And the kid, I will say the kids did seem, like, super proud and super excited about this. But I have never heard – crickets longer on a zoom call than I did when they asked for questions. Um, and only Mac Ingle was willing to break the seal, um, which was, which was great and asked a couple questions. And then Drake told did ask about why it wasn't the revivalry and, and the canned answer you knew they were ready for that one. Um, the talking points had been written ahead of time for sure. Um, man, like this is, this is sad friends. Uh, this is, this is not the inspiring rivalry preview that both of us thought we would have back in August but I think it is um appropriate for the level of enthusiasm around this game neither team I I guess how many wins does Baylor have now I don't think either of us have a chance to get to six right we're sitting at three yeah I think we're sitting at three or no we have four so theoretically Mm. TCU is still playing to get bowl eligible um with Baylor and then at Oklahoma remaining on the schedule so uh, a little something to play for. It doesn't feel like the Baylor players have quit per se. It just feels like they aren't any good. Is that a fair assessment? I, I think that's the most <laughs> depressing part. I think yeah. that is honestly the most depressing part. Now they don't celebrate for each other on the sidelines. I don't yeah. think that's necessarily quitting, but damn everything else except for some of the play on the field leads me to believe they have. I I don't know. It's it's just really stupid. Like, I, I think I said during the Kansas State game, I'm now at the point where I'm worried about putting these kids out on the field <laughs> like like you would with, like, a like a uh, what was the fake school, Evan, that, oh, <laughs> that ran Bishop those yeah. people? Yeah, Bishop, yeah Sycamore. Bishop Sycamore. It feels like a Bishop Sycamore situation every single Saturday. It's fantastic. No, they a had a four-star player season. on their team. <laughs> and, and they also yeah, had, exactly. a couple, they had a couple of 30-year-olds, so it was different. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. In our last in our last two and a half minutes here uh, before my Zoom runs out, and we could you know start a second one, but I don't want to subject you boys to any more torture than <laughs> I already have. Um, but if, but if we need to like like have a therapy call after this, we certainly can. Um, just like for wailing and like rending of garments and gnashing <laughs> of teeth, that's totally fine. Um, tell us. Uh, I want I want you to give me your your one your sixty second or your well make it a fifteen second elevator pitch on Baylor football in twenty twenty three. How would you describe it? And then where can people find you on social? Because I mean, Evan will be smarter than both of us, Matt. But people may want to just like follow along with us on on Twitter or X or whatever <laughs> else on Saturday afternoon. Matt, you want to go first? Okay, I got it. Um... The, there, there's a show called uh, "What We Do in the Shadows." Yeah, I started it. And last there's, night. there's, there's a character that's an energy vampire that sucks all of the life out of people around him for sustenance, um, and that's that's what Baylor football is this season. It is an energy vampire uh, for its fan base, 
And uh, it has sucked all of the enthusiasm out of it. Basketball's, you know, restoring the feeling a little bit, but that's what it is. You can follow me at Matt is bear. Very specific life choice, but you could if you wanted to, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a choice. It is a decision. Um, there's another show that's off the air now, but it's called Scrubs, and they made uh, a ninth yeah. se- they, they made a ninth season of it, despite not oh, really needing oh, to have made it, where there's some familiar faces. But it really fucking stinks. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be uh, that'd be Baylor's 2023 season, a season nine of Scrubs, which is fun because we don't talk about it anymore. Yeah. So we just won't talk about the season after it's over and we'll get a new producer. It'll be good. Um, <laughs> that was that's perfect. all I got. That's um, um, listen, next time that we talk, I want to talk about Jacoby and Baylor basketball. Oh, because, please. oh my God, I'm obsessed. <laughs> I'm in love and I hate him so much. Um, I would like him, please. Can we, I'll give you, I'll give you Sunny Dykes, return Kendall Bryles. You send Jacoby Walter to TCU. Then we get four years of Desmond Bain. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Matt and Evan and to Melissa for that excellent preview. Love hearing from the uh, opponent's perspective every week and Melissa's just done a tremendous job of pulling all of that together for us all season long so shout out to her shout out to to Evan and Matt for for what they're doing um I do want to take a moment at this point to just shout out Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods has everything you need for game day they've got the polos they've got the hats they've got the long sleeve quarter zips they've got a couple hoodies that are actually pretty great. Some t-shirts as well. Koozies, whatever you need to get ready for game day. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods is your place to go. When you buy at Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods, which is hellshalfacresg.com, when you go to hellshalfacresg.com and make a purchase, you'll see a little opportunity, I think, to make a comment. Tell them that Frogs Insider sent you. They would love to hear that that is where they heard about, um, that is where you heard about them. And uh, that'll help kind of keep this relationship going. So tell them that you heard about them from Frogs Insider. Go get some stuff from Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods today. Meanwhile, if you're watching on the YouTube, I've already mentioned it. I've got the Home Field Apparel hoodie on today. It's not the Big Sky. It is a TCU hoodie. Um, And they've got some cool stuff coming down the road um, that I can't quite tease just yet, but I'll tease it like that. So keep an eye out for some Home Field Apparel stuff coming soon. Um, not new merch for TCU, just to clarify. Uh, but Homefield Apparel has some of the comfiest hoodies and and uh, t-shirts that I've ever had. I'm obviously wearing one right now. You all know if you've listened before about the my beloved Big Sky hoodie that you can also go and get. It's still available. Um, if you use the code FROGSIN15, FROGS IN15, you will get 15% off of your first purchase of any TCU gear at homefieldapparel.com and 10% off of any subsequent purchase, right? So this is a code that's good forever. It's about to be the holiday season. If you want to get something comfortable for a family member or a friend or a loved one, go to homefieldapparel.com, get them some TCU gear, use the code FROGSIN15 to save yourself some money. Hey, that might even mean that you save enough money to get yourself something. 
from homefieldapparel.com. And wouldn't we all love to have a little bit of home field in our closet this winter, keeping us nice and warm as the world gets a little bit colder outside. Shout out to Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel. Again, we love you guys as sponsored very, sponsors. Very, very thankful that you are, are sponsoring the show. All right. <clears throat> Three games that I am watching this week. Obviously, Baylor TCU doesn't count. Some of the other bigger games that everyone is watching won't count. But there is one that is actually a ranked matchup that I'm very intrigued about. And we're going to do these kind of out of order. At 1.30, it's going to be on the Pac-12 network, actually, so I can't watch it. But I'm going to talk about it anyways. Utah and Arizona. Two teams that are 7-3. and three. Arizona, obviously, and Utah both coming to the Big 12 next season. Both currently ranked. In the CFP rankings, Arizona's 17, Utah's 22. Arizona's a one-point favorite in this game. It's happening in Tucson. And it has been really fun to see this turnaround for the Wildcats this year because I think they were picked like second or third to last in the Pac-12. Now they're 7-3. and three. They're on like a four-game winning streak in the conference. And they have a chance to knock off uh, the two-time Defending Pac-12 champion in Utah, who has struggled at times this year offensively, has a has a lights-out defense, as we've known them to have over the years. Um, but Arizona's offense, if they can get some points on the board, I think they've got a good enough defense to kind of hold Utah down here uh, and, and maybe get a, a win, move to 8-3 and three on the season. That's a game that I am definitely, definitely going to pay attention to, even if I can't watch it because I don't have the Pac-12 network, which is very silly and dumb. Shout-out to the Pac-12 network and the whole Pac-12 for just absolutely farting and falling down. Um, Another game that I am watching this week, it's an interesting slate of games definitely this week, Uh, but one that I'm kind of paying attention to that's going to be off the radar for a lot of people, Uh, two eight and two teams that are matching up in the state of Tennessee this weekend. That game's at 11 a.m. on ESPN2. That's SMU and Memphis. Two eight and two teams. SMU's an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Their offense has been absolutely steamrolling teams, steamrolling teams lately. Um, granted, it's been like Charlotte and North Texas and some of these other teams, but they're absolutely crushing these teams right now. Their defense is playing really well. I'm interested to see how much Memphis can challenge this Mustangs team that is looking to get to 10 wins. That would be an impressive feat for SMU. That would be an impressive feat for Rhett Lashley, whose name is going to come up this offseason in coaching searches. SMU fans just got to just got to get ready, get mentally prepared for that. Does he leave? I don't know. I don't think he does. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. SMU Memphis is another one that I am definitely paying attention to this week. And then the last game that I am paying attention to this week that I'm very interested to see the outcome of is a game that's happening on Saturday night. Uh, it is... Texas and Iowa State, 7 o'clock on Fox. UT is 9-1. and one. They're 7th in the country. Iowa State is 6-4. and four. And I'm a little nervous about this one. Texas is a 7.5-point favorite. Here's why I'm nervous, though. Everything says that Iowa State pulls off the upset in this game. Everything says. Night game in Ames, they have a history of upsetting uh, teams that are that are on track for either the BCS or the CFP. 
they're rolling right now. They've, they've looked really, really good the last few weeks. Matt Campbell has this thing turned around. Talk about a guy who's re, uh, kind of resurrected his coaching search rumor mill chances. Matt Campbell has got to be at the top of that list this year. I was so wrong about him being done. Um, Brooks out for UT. Like All of these things are like building up to this huge Iowa State upset. My gut's telling me that Texas is going to win this game by two scores. And do I want that to happen? Not necessarily. But my gut's telling me that Texas is going to cover in this one. And I want to be wrong, so I'm going to be watching this game. But just know that my gut's telling me that Texas is going to cover that 7.5. <sighs> which means that they're going to go to the Big 12 Championship, and that means they're probably going to win the Big 12 Championship, which means they're probably going to go to the college football playoff. In their last year as a Big 12 team. Hey, shout out. We're going to get that money as a Big 12 school. TCU's going to get some of that, that college football playoff money for the second year in a row. Um, but it's going to come because I think Texas is going to get the job done on Saturday night. And, and kind of just take it from there. So those are the three games that I am keeping an eye on this week. Utah, Arizona, SMU, Memphis, and Texas, Iowa State. Okay. It's mailbag time. We ready to do this? You guys ask some really, really good questions. I'm very excited to get into these. Okay, let's jump right in. GoFrogs FW asks, are all of the incoming freshman men's basketball signees okay with redshirting next year? That seems to be Dixon's MO. I kind of already answered this in the thread, um, <clears throat> but I'll, I'll kind of reiterate what I said and then add on. So, I think TCU is beginning to recruit at a level that will allow freshmen to compete, compete for playing time. Um, we saw that this year, right? Jace Posey and Isaiah Manning made it very difficult for the coaching staff to decide to redshirt them. At the end of the day, they had a conversation, and the conversation was, we think you're good enough right now, but we don't know where the minutes are going to come from. Because if you look at TCU's roster, they are incredibly deep this year. They are incredibly deep. They've got three big men. They've got two or three, four if you count. Um, so the, think about all right. Let's let's break it down by this way: Hassan Mustafa, Xavier Cork, uh, Ernest Ernest Uday Jr. Three centers right there. Talk about power forward. You've got guys that can rotate in. You've got Jacoby Coles. You've got Emmanuel Miller. You've got Micah Peavy that can play that role at times as well. You want to talk about then that's kind of where the 3-4 role, which is pretty similar, that's where Isaiah Manning would play. So you've got three guys kind of rolling in in that spot already. The three, again, you've got E-Man, you've got Micah, really kind of locking that spot down. Those are where the most of those minutes are going to come from. E-Man, E-Man is the starting three this year, right? And he's getting about 28, 30 minutes a game. Um, at the two... You've got Micah as the starter there. You've got either Avery Anderson or Trey Tennyson kind of rotating into that two spot at times. So, again, three bodies there that are playing that two position a lot. And then at the one, you've got Jameer as the starter. And you've got Trey Tennyson and Avery Anderson rotating into that spot a lot. So there's just not a lot of minutes for Posey or Manning to find this season. So the question was, do we want to waste a year of their eligibility when they're maybe, maybe going to get five minutes a game. Um, 
I know that those two guys are okay with that. They're much more okay with that than the freshman that was on the roster last year. And that's why he's not here anymore. And so I don't know that this is necessarily a signal that they're going to continue redshirting freshmen, but just know that they're recruiting at a level where that may not be the case moving forward. Plus, you lose a lot of guys off of this roster. A lot of guys. There's a reason they signed four players to this recruiting class and not just two like they did last year. And so I think there's a real chance that one or two of those freshmen could see some playing time next year. Make no mistake about it. This could very well be Jace Posey's team next year. This could very well be Jace Posey's team next year. He is that good. And uh, I, I think a year of getting stronger, of learning the college game, of understanding the physicality of the game will do him a world of good because this could very well be Jace Posey's team next year. Um, if you'll notice, they signed one point guard uh, in um, uh, Ashton Simmons. They signed a lot of big bodies outside of that. Malik Diallo is 6'10". Uh, David Punch is 6'7". Uh, Michael Robinson is 6'6". Right? So you've got a lot of those wings. You've got the wings in center, a point guard. You've got a point guard on the roster for next year in Posey. You've got another wing in Isaiah Manning. Uh, so you, you, know, you portal maybe a shooter and another big man because you're probably going to have Mustafa back. I think he's got another year after this. You're going to probably have Uday back another year after this. Um, so maybe portal a wing and a shooter and you've got a younger roster, but one that's, that's in pretty good shape, um, going into 2024. So I don't know that they're all going to redshirt next year, um, because of the talent that TCU is recruiting out of the high school ranks these days. TRF 51 says, since I know everything already, I don't have any questions. Hell yeah. Let me get some of that limitless knowledge. TR appreciate you. Manticos, heard our Big Ten hopes are dashed. That's it. Comments. Uh, I Okay, so I saw I saw Gorf's post the other day. And uh, his source has been really spot on recently. I think it's important to note, though, that a word he used was tabled. Um, which is not a no, right? Um, I think that... And, and I'll be honest, I haven't checked in with people lately to really kind of get a ton of new information... Um, because the season's been going on and normally not a lot of stuff happens. We saw like a little burst of energy from, from Florida State and some of the ACC schools there back in early October. But um, normally stuff doesn't happen during the season. And I don't think that there was anything that was going to be imminent this fall, right? Now, uh, I also don't think that one bad season dashes all hopes. I don't think that anything that TCU has done this year has lessened their profile. Um, but sometimes, you know, doing due diligence means that you're having conversations with certain people at one point, and then you're having conversations with other people at another point. I don't necessarily think that that's an indicator of anything overly negative or disheartening, right? Um, because let's be honest here, this was nothing that was going to be imminent anyways, if, if an offer came or, or anything like that. Um, there's, there's nothing, there was nothing that was, uh, suggesting that this was going to come down quickly. Nothing. And, um, you know, that's, that's all just, if we're doing like what I know and what I think categories, this is all kind of what I think. And what I think is that TCU is still in really good shape, right? Um, TCU has one of the four protective rivalries in the big 12. 
Um, and that was because TCU pushed to have one of these protected rivalries. It was that important. Um, TCU is set up in a way that should lead them to have a lot of success in a lot of different sports moving forward, including football. The results haven't borne out that way this year, but they're still set up really, really well in the long run. And that's just kind of where we got to, where we've got to exist right now. Um, no news isn't necessarily good news. No news is not necessarily bad news. It's just no news. So let's just live in the moment a little bit. Um, embrace the moment and and hope for hope to God that TCU beats Baylor on Saturday. The Voyager Eleven. Question one: Who on this team should we be asking about but aren't? I.e., who is this coaching staff really excited about slash impressed with that we aren't talking about? I think Jamel Johnson is one at safety that is really really exciting. This coaching staff right now, um, I, I I I think they're very excited about him. I think they're very excited about Ben Taylor Whitfield. He got kind of thrown in to an unfavorable situation at times this year along the offensive line, but I think with some time to develop, he's going to be an, an incredible offensive lineman here at TCU. Um, those are two guys that I think we should really pay attention to. Jamel Johnson and Ben Taylor Whitfield, I, th- I think they're going to be excellent, excellent football players for TCU for a long, long time. Question two, who could GP realistically coach for? Would he be open to DC positions? All right, I'm going to start with the second part of that question. I'm going to start with something that I know, and then I'm going to go into something that I think. First, what I know. I know that Gary Patterson had opportunities to be a defensive coordinator when he left TCU. He had multiple opportunities, multiple Power 5 schools who wanted him to be their defensive coordinator. One is in the Big Ten. One is on the West Coast. Both of these schools wanted him as their DC. It did not seem at that time as if Gary was interested in being a defensive coordinator. And I get that, right? You just were a head coach for 20 years. Going back and working for someone else seems like it might not be the thing you really want to do. He was in his early 60s. He's still in his early 60s at this point. Instead, he chose to do the analyst route down at Texas for a year. You know, got that experience under his belt, kind of got the bad taste from how things ended at TCU out of his mouth. Now, I think DC's off the table. I think he's going to be able to be a head coach somewhere. So going into the first part of this question, who could GP realistically coach for? I think it's important to understand where he is in life and what schools might be looking for for the next few years of their program. I think New Mexico would be an excellent fit. I think San Diego State would be an excellent fit for Gary Patterson. Both of those schools are coming off of coaches who, you know, Brady Hoke retired. New Mexico's had some controversy. I think Gary Patterson could go into either of those situations and immediately improve the standing of those programs. I also think that there's a benefit to Gary moving to the G5 versus trying to get another Power 5 gig. And I, I, you know, I think Arkansas maybe will have a conversation with Gary. I don't think that would be out of the realm of possibility. UCLA might call Gary and have a conversation. I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility either. But I think with New Mexico or San Diego State, what that provides Patterson the opportunity to do, it's a couple of different things. First of all, the G5 level, especially at those schools, NIL isn't as big of a deal. Right? And we know that he had issues with NIL when he was finishing up his time at TCU as that stuff was getting rolling. I think there's an opportunity for him to maybe come around on NIL a little bit. Um, but at, at New Mexico specifically, that's not going to be as big of a challenge for you as it might be at a P5 school. San Diego State, you're, you're probably getting into some NIL territory there. But at New Mexico, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. 
with the transfer portal the way it is now, what Gary Patterson would be able to do at a New Mexico or a San Diego State would be to bring in those those players who maybe the, the first situation didn't work out for whatever reason. Maybe it was uh, they, they struggled at the Power 5 level, they didn't jive with the coach, whatever it might have been. Gary Patterson can be that G5 refuge for players who, who, who struggled at option one. And they can come in, reset, get really, really, really good coaching, right? Because Gary Patterson is an extremely good football coach. And they can maybe start to turn their career around a little bit. Uh, New Mexico and, and San Diego State both would be excellent opportunities for Gary to avoid some of the NIL challenges that maybe he doesn't want to deal with and still be able to portal incredibly well and develop a program. Uh, I, I think he'd be able to turn both of those things around really, really quickly because there is no doubt about it, Gary Patterson is still a very good football coach. And I think that the time off has allowed him to maybe come around on some of the things that he saw as obstacles at the end of his time at TCU. He might be able to leverage those into opportunities now back at the G5 level. So <clears throat> that's my answer to that. Um, a lot of the, that is based on conversations that I've had with people who feel really good about what could happen next for Gary Patterson. So keep an eye, uh, keep an eye on the Lobos, man. Keep an eye on the Lobos. Question number three from the Voyager 11. Who will be the Razorbacks head coach next season? I kind of mentioned, I think that there has been some, some conversation in Arkansas circles about Gary Patterson. Uh, I don't know how far down the road that's going to go. I don't end up thinking, I don't, I don't think he's going to end up getting that job. Um, Another name that I've heard is Rhett Lashley. I would be pretty surprised because Arkansas has done the whole go to the SMU and get a coach route before, but Rhett Lashley's from the state, played at Arkansas. Um, there's a connection there. I I don't know who Arkansas can bring in that will immediately turn the program back around. I thought Sam Pittman's first couple of years were awesome. I think maybe even keeping him on in some kind of ambassador role would be great. Um but uh, they got to get someone in there. They got to get someone in there who understands Arkansas's place in the SEC. That it is, you know, last episode I talked about TCU being on a four year development cycle. Arkansas is the same kind of school, right? You're not going to get the five star, five star, five star talent that just replenishes you every year over year. You've got to have someone who can develop, create a, a, an opportunity to get into a good development cycle rhythm play the portal to supplement some needs so that maybe that cycle takes two years or three years instead of four. Um, and I think that they need a head coach that has already had head coaching experience. I don't think they need to go with the first time head coach route again. That just, that's not going to work out for you in the sec. It's just not ultimate frog rate Cavender on a scale of one to 10, but not the crazy scale where each tier is disproportionate. Thanks. So I'm going to assume that this is a Hooper scale and I'm going to give her an eight and a half. She is a baller. Like I said earlier, she led Miami in points, assists, and minutes. She shot 40% from three. She's for her career, three years at Fresno State and a year at Miami. She's averaged 16.7 points a game, 7.2 rebounds a game, 3.8 assists per game. She's a baller. She's got 2,000 career points at the college level. This is a, this is a girl who, who can score. She facilitates incredibly well. She crashes the boards. Uh, this is a hooper that TCU is getting. I'm very excited about uh, Cavender coming and, and being a part of this program next year. I think that she's going to help take women's basketball at TCU to a level that it hasn't seen yet, that we're starting to get a glimpse of early on this season. Very, very, very excited about that. 
McFrog asks the eternal question, why? And I will respond with, because. That's why. Shoff's dream. I don't like either the revivalry or bluebonnet battle. Was there anything else considered? So I had someone hit me in the DMs the other day, which happens from time to time. I'm always excited for people to slide into the DMs and give me unsolicited info. Um, so if you feel like you have unsolicited info, hit me up on Twitter. Um, my DMs are open. Uh, and this person uh, requested anonymity, so we're going we're gonna to offer that to them because I'm not a jerk. Um, but this was a person who had intimate knowledge of TCU student government, not currently, but previously and still recently. And the information that I learned was that TCU and Baylor have been trying to figure something out like this for a while. They've gone back and forth quite a bit. Uh, and like we've seen both sides of this conversation talking about this week, it seems like they want to push the rejection of the rivalry as a rivalry name off on the other school for some sort of religious reason, right? Uh, TCU's not very religious, and so they didn't want the religious con- connotation. Uh, Baylor wanted something that was more more uh, like happy-go-lucky, like respectful and PC and all this other kind of stuff. So the, the, two, the two fan bases have been going back and forth on that. Um, I know that there were other trophies that were suggested by TCU. I know that there were other rivalry names that were suggested by TCU. But it really seemed like everything was that even had a hint of religious connotation was uh, a non-starter for Baylor. Um, one of the trophies that I was told uh, was suggested was an old-school fire extinguisher, which is hilarious. Let's just be completely honest. That would be funny as heck. Um, but it's the Bubonic Battle, and the trophy is massive and... Uh, it was at the presser on Tuesday. It's it's a shield. Um, and look, do I think it's the greatest trophy in the world? No. Do I think it's the greatest rivalry name in the world? No. Um, I think TCU and Baylor, that rivalry is deserving of something really cool. I thought the rivalry was awesome. I think a trophy around that name would be really, really cool too. I also think that people's hot takes about student government are a little ridiculous right like these are groups of students who want to leave their mark on a long-standing rivalry that's okay right like legacy is important and starting to think about it at a young age isn't necessarily bad um and you know they worked really hard on this for a long time so yeah they're gonna like put the student government logos on the trophy and all this other stuff uh i don't i don't i don't like all of the heat that the sga folks on both sides of the aisle are getting from all of this. I think it's, I think it's a little much to be getting in like the, getting in the comments of a, of, of the Baylor president's student president's, you know, Instagram posts. And, you know, so I just, maybe we need to take a, maybe we just need to calm down a little bit, right? Call it what you want. If you want to call it the revivalry, call it the revivalry. The Texas and OU fans still call it the red river shootout, right? Like, you don't have to call it something just because it's got an official name, right? The bits of broken chairs rivalry between, I think it's what Minnesota and Iowa like that was fan led. There was never any formality around that. And, uh, you know, you can have fun with the rivalry and not be beholden to its official title. So, uh, I just, I, I, you know, call it what you want. Just call it TCU Baylor. If that's what you want to do, don't, don't go out of your way to, 
to grief some some SGA folks just because you don't like what they decided. That's just unnecessary, I think. Uh, they're students, just like just like you used to be, just like the student athletes are. They're students. They're just trying to trying to do something that they think is cool, and I, I, I'm not gonna fault them for that. I'm not gonna fault them for that. Moving right along, I think we only got one or two left. Uh, Army Frog fan suggests uh, Battle for I-35, which I also really like. Um, I think there could have been a really cool I-35 trophy every year between Texas, Baylor, and TCU where, uh, heck, throw Oklahoma in the mix, throw, I guess, Kansas in the mix. They're, they're kind of close to 35. Um, all, those, all of the Big 12 schools just right on that 35 corridor have, you know, like have, a, have a little trophy for whoever wins that overall battle every year. It would be kind of cool. Um, Raw Frog says, a bit random, but does anyone else think white inside the numbers would look cleaner and better than the silver? I'm assuming this is on the black jersey. Um, and yes, mainly because when they've got the silver numbers and I'm sitting in the press, I can't see. I'm old man eyes. I can't see the numbers. And so, yeah, I would love to see something that would allow me to understand, like, uh, would allow me to say, is that a zero or an eight? Am I looking at. Am I looking at um, you know Jamel Johnson or Nook Bradford? Is that Bud Clark? I don't know because I can't tell what the number is. Right? I can't tell who's the running back, or uh, I can't tell if it's Marcel Brooks or Shad Banks because it's nine or zero, and it's all just a silver blur. Yeah, absolutely change the numbers. Um, Frog Frog, I'm gonna save your question for last. Why does uh, El, El Nino Jimenez asks, why does the TCU campus store make it difficult to order merch from? This is the second time I've had an item canceled on me. First, the CFP jacket and now the red eye hoodie. I had the red eye hoodie canceled too, and I have a platform. I'm going to use it. TCU campus store, get your stuff together. That is stupid. I ordered a hoodie, the, the new uh, red eye hoodie, like 30 minutes after the link came out. And five hours later, I'm getting an email saying my order is canceled because you're out. What? You got to have a better mechanism in place than that. That is absurd. That is hilarious. I'm also going to use this as an opportunity to plug both Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel again to say I've never had an order canceled from either of those places. They're not going to lose. They're not going to cancel an order on you. They're going to take your money. You're going to get an excellent, high quality product back in exchange. So if you want a hoodie, you didn't get the red eye hoodie. By the way, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods has some red eye quality stuff right now. I'm I'm copping that hat. As soon as I hop off of this and, and and get this edited, I'm ordering the the red eye logo on a hat from Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. So let's go ahead and be matching buddies on that uh, El Nino. Let, let's grab those hats together. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's really disappointing that TCU is going to hype something up like that and then cancel a bunch of people's orders because they they mismanage things. It's it's just annoying. Um, Bisquick Frog asks, what changes have occurred in the athletics department that have resulted in so much success across sports? This is a great question. Um, I think that the bones have been there for a really long time for TCU to be successful uh, across all athletics and not just in the big three, not just at football. Um, I think it, it what shifted things uh, and, and we started to see some of this when Del Conte was still was still the the athletic director. But I think what Jeremiah Donati has done an incredible job of as TCU's AD is making sure that the uh, the financial commitment matches the verbal commitment, right? And what I mean by that is 
every athletic director is going to come out and say that all of our sports are important. All of our athletics matter. It's not just about football. We want to be successful across the board. And, and they give you that, that spiel, right? We hear that from every athletics department. What Jeremiah Donati has done is made sure that the financial investment in those other sports matches the verbal commitment that he has made to them. And so what I mean by that is take beach volleyball for an example. We are talking about a beach volleyball program that is landlocked to the extreme when usually every beach volleyball program that has national success is coastal, right? It's California or it's Florida. In order to be the best in a sport like that, you have to compete against the best in a sport like that. And for a TCU team, that means you're flying a lot. And Donati has committed to making sure that beach volleyball gets out to California, they get out to Florida, they go to Hawaii for a tournament, right? That costs so much money for a sport that doesn't necessarily generate the same kind of revenue that it might cost to send them to those places. But he's made that commitment. And what have we seen? Beach volleyball has been a top three program in the country for the last five years now under Hector Gutierrez. That's what I'm talking about. And I think across sports, that is what has made TCU successful. The financial investment in soccer, the financial investment in volleyball, bringing in Jason Williams and committing to making that program better, bringing in Mark Campbell, committing to making women's basketball good again, committing to Jamie Dixon, committing to Kirk Sarlos, committing to Sonny Dykes, and making sure that the big three are set up well for the future, right? The financial investment that TCU Athletics has made under Jeremiah Donati across the board is the reason for the success we've been seeing. The commitment to rifle that has been a dominant program in its sport for a decade plus, right? They have done such a great job. And we're starting to see some of the stuff too, right? Like with swimming and diving, equestrian has been on top for so long now. It's because the financial investment has backed up the verbal commitment. That is why we're seeing TCU Athletics have the success across the board that it is having. And that is a testament directly to the work that Jeremiah Donati is doing to making sure that no program gets left behind. He has high expectations for every program. He makes those expectations extraordinarily clear to the leaders of each program, to each of those head coaches. And then he backs them up with the money they need, with the support that they need to get that job done well. It's really not that hard to, you know, the, the equation is pretty simple. But sometimes you just got to have the finances to make it happen. And fortunately for TCU, they're in a really good financial spot. And Jeremiah Donati has been able to balance that incredibly well. So all of that credit goes straight to the AD. That's my opinion, right? He runs that ship incredibly well. I know that there have been some there there have been some some uh, frustrations about you know you know some assistance and in, in, in football like whatever it might be. There are some frustrations, and athletic directors are always going to catch some heat. But ultimately, I think if you're if you're given Jeremiah Jeremiah report card. Uh, it's A's. It's A's. That's what it is. And, you know, maybe it's an A minus here, but it's A's. He, he has done an extraordinary job with TCU Athletics. An extraordinary job. There's a reason that USC was calling him, right? Like, people across the country are recognizing the kind of job Jeremiah Donati is doing. And, and TCU fans should 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 appreciate that and maybe even verbalize that to him send him an email tell him tell him how good of a job you think he's doing because i think i think he's done an excellent 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 job senior frog went out are we going to shreveport if not then where hey it might be the armed forces bowl in fort worth texas yep yep all right moving on ludicliff asks onion or bart the people demand to know where you stand. 
Also, don't even remotely follow women's basketball yet. What are our realistic expectations for them? All right. I got on Twitter yesterday afternoon. I've been like head down working for a while. I'm um, take a five minute break. See what see what's going on in the Twitter sphere. And it's just a bunch of pictures of onions and Bart Simpson. And I have no idea what's going on. Landry Burdine asked, what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. Someone explain. Someone explain, am I a Bart or am I an onion? Because I have no idea. I'm old. That's what I know. And new young people trends escape me. And at this point in my life, I'm just going to have to accept that. 37 years old, it's just done for me. I don't, get, I don't understand the popular things anymore. Um, I'm going to go have a bourbon and cry about it later. But someone tell me, am I an onion? Am I a Bart? I'm going to have to have some help on this one. Women's basketball realistic expectations. I think I said this on the board last week. I think somewhere in the middle third of the conference is pretty realistic, right? They're not going to go 1-17 and this year um, like they did last year in conference. They're going to be better than that. They have much more talent than that. Um, they're going to be a tougher out than that. I don't know that in one year you can turn things around with how um, bad the program has been. I could be proven wrong, but right now I think realistic expectations are to say, yeah, in a 14-team conference, I think they'll finish somewhere between like five and eight, five and seven. No, five and nine, sorry. That kind of middle third of the conference, they'll finish somewhere fifth to ninth, and I think that that will be uh, a perfectly acceptable improvement over what this team was a year ago. With the understanding that Next year, now that you know you, you give Campbell a full cycle, not only to hit the portal, but he's building some really good relationships with some juniors in high school right now. So next year's high school class, we can start to see some some talent that's going to come in and develop. And and, and he's got. I, I talked with him early, earlier this week. He's got a plan, folks. I, I mentioned it earlier. I'm writing up a, a little bit about him. He's got a vision for this thing. He's got a plan to make it work, to make it work long term. Um, so if you're not a stockholder in women's basketball yet, I would get on that really quickly. Uh, and it looks like that was the last question. So thanks, Luda, for. Uh, leading us out. I still got to get to Frog Frog's question, which means that I've got to vamp a little bit while I find the thread that it was in. Oh, baby. Let's see. Let's see. It was a PFF thread. We're scrolling. This is really good podcasting right now. I'm doing an excellent job. Everyone tell me, if you're watching on YouTube, tell me about the great job that I am doing. Oh, man. This is why we do the mailbag thread, so that you don't have to go through and scroll like this scroll like this hmm here we go here we go um has anyone progressed from this year or this year from last year in terms of performance on pff let me go to pff and pull that up as well um i think that it's going to be few and far between i'll tell you that um as my PFF takes a million years to load. Let's scroll down to TCU. Here we are by player. Okay, so let's do this. I'm gonna go to the game report for Texas. And we're gonna start by looking at Savion Williams because I think he's gonna see some improvement here. Yeah, so PFF grade Savion Williams, 2022. Uh, he had a total offensive grade of 58.9, a passing grade of 58.7, a pass blocking grade of 
2023, his offensive grade is 73.7. So a significant jump. We'll call that the lack of QJ effect, plus a really, really good game against Texas. He's had a good, good, good four games in a row. Um, 74.3 grade in passing. So he's a guy that's improved. He's got a COVID year left. I think that if they try to bring him back, that's that's going to be a huge a huge thing from them. Uh, frankly, there are not a ton of other guys from the offensive side of the ball that are that are back. Right, uh, Brandon Coleman's grades are way down from last year. Um, Andrew Coker's grades. Let's go to him. Uh, let's see, uh, about the same as last year. Honestly, sixty nine point eight. Offensive grade last last year, 65.3 this year. His pass blocking grade is actually up to 76.4 from 71.5. Uh, run blocking grade, way down. Run blocking grade, way down. Um, 56.8 this year, 69.8 last year. So up in the pass blocking game, down in the run blocking game, which is part of what we've seen, I think, especially since Hoover's been in. We've seen them pass block pretty well, but the run blocking for Imani has gone down, gone down pretty significantly. Um, another guy we can look at Jared Wiley, his offensive numbers are are pretty significantly down, which I think is, is interesting considering how much we were told this off season by, by coaches that the tight ends were going to be really involved. And we have seen him be really involved, but his offensive grade is, is down to a 61.7. It was a 76.8 last year pass, uh, catching grade is 65.8 down from 81.4 last year. Blocking grade is up in pass blocking grade and run is down. Um, so really just on the offensive side, Savion, Savion seems to be the only guy that has seen significant playing time whose numbers have gone up. Um, we can take a look at John Lanz as well. He played mostly at right guard, kind of swapped with Wes Harris last year. Numbers are down across the board for him. Um, actually, no, sorry. I was looking at the wrong thing. His numbers are up across the board. Uh, his total offensive grade is 64.1, up from 61.9. His pass blocking grade is 66.1, up from 57.3. And his run blocking grade is up from 60, uh, at 65.5 from 61.1. Um, so he's done a better job this year, even though he's playing more and at a different position than he was a year ago. So that's something of note, right? Because he's caught a lot of heat from folks, and rightfully so, because there have been moments where he's, he's struggled. But overall, he's improved year over year for, for TCU. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball a little bit. Let's look at Abe Kamara. I think he's going to be a fun one to look at if his season grades load. Yes, Abe Kamara, last year, 2022, 71.9 overall defensive grade. This year, that's a 79.9. His run defense is up to 81.2 from 80.8. His tackling grade is up to 74.5, up from 57.8. And his coverage grade is up to 79.2, up from 68.6. Abe Kamara has improved dramatically this year. Dramatically. He has been one of the best secondary players for TCU this season, without a doubt. Um, along the defensive line, let's take a look at Tymon Mitchell. Uh, he's another guy who I think has had a pretty decent year, albeit quiet, because TCU's front has, has been under some heat. Uh, why aren't his season grades loading? Please load. What are we doing? What are we doing here, PFF? Come on now. Let's hit refresh. Season grade still not loading. I'll say this, though. Looking at his game-by-game game for Timon, uh, his his tackling grade has been in the 70s for every week except one, and the one was Kansas State. 
and nobody had a good game against Kansas State. Nobody did. So he's been consistently good at tackling. Uh, his run defense numbers have been up and down this year. His pass rush defense have been pretty consistently in the high 50s, low 60s. So you want to see that number maybe get a little bit higher. Um, but ultimately, at least you, like you know what you're getting. Some of these other guys, you, you get great performances one week and really rough performances the next week consistency is really important. It's something that Sonny Dykes has been talking about a lot. And Tymon Mitchell is giving you a consistent uh, performance in this year. Um, another guy that I think has had a pretty interesting season. Why aren't the season grades loading? Come on, PFF. You're letting me down. You're letting me down. Is my internet crapping out right now? Like, what is going on here? Well, if none of these grades are going to kind of show up and, and I know that frog's question was specifically about guys that have improved. So I'm trying to, trying to scroll through and find some of them. Um, another guy who has kind of stayed steady is Mark Perry. Defensive grades, basically the same run defense grade is the same coverage grades, is the same uh, tackling grade is down Seven, 61.5 from 71 last year. So uh, not as great a tackling year for Perry, but other than that, he's been pretty consistent. Let's let's go back to Shad now and see if the grades will load. No, it's just Shad. PFF hates Shad. That's dumb. Okay, well, if it's not going to load, that's pretty much all I can do for you. Let's look at Dom Williams, see if his stuff will load. That'll be the one we end on. Yep. Uh, Dom Williams... Uh, his defensive grade is down half a half a point, sixty nine point five from seventy. But his run defense grade is up seventy four point one from seventy one point two. His tackling grade is up seventy eight point three to seventy point four. His pass rush grade is up sixty three to sixty one from sixty one and a half. The reason the reason that his overall defensive grade has gone down is because his coverage grade has gone down from seventy seven point one last year to fifty seven point eight last year. So when this is a good example of how we need to look at PFF grades, the overall grade can be impacted by silly things that don't really matter. And in this case, Dom Williams overall grade is impacted so much by his coverage grade, but he's a nose tackle, right? And so when you look at his grades and you say, all right, run defense is up, tackling is up, pass rush is up across the board. All right. So Dom Williams is building on what was a really good freshman year. His sophomore year has taken a step forward and that's incredibly heartening. Uh, and so now we're saying, okay, from, from here to junior year, let's make the big leap. Let's make the big, big leap. Let's be a dominant force on the interior defensive line. Maybe that will help this defense take a step forward in 2024. So that's what we're going to end on is, is the good news that Dom Williams has taken a step forward. According to PFF. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who has listened again. Thanks to Evan and Matt over at between two bears for uh, hopping on with Melissa and previewing TCU Baylor. We will be back. I'm committing to it. We will be back to a recap episode this weekend. Uh, that'll be out on Monday of next week. It's an early week next week. Thanksgiving is coming up. So we're going to try and do a mailbag episode a little bit earlier in the week, probably on Wednesday instead of Thursday um, to get that thing out ahead of the holidays. So look for all of that. Uh, check out the TCU Baylor game, 230 ESPN Plus, and we will talk to you next time. Go Frogs.